3: Welcome to a special edition of the New Statesman podcast, which is entirely themed around Harry Potter. Yes, you might think that we've gone completely mad, but actually we discovered in the office that almost every political, social and economic problem can be explored through the medium of J.K. Rowling's series about the boy wizard, later boring civil servant. Um, I'm going to start off first of all by talking about politics with Stephen Bush, our Staggers editor, and Anna Leskovitz, our editorial assistant. Hello both. Hello. Hello. Um, and we're going to talk about politics first. It's the obvious place for the new statesman to start. And Anna, I'm going to start with you because um, during the election campaign, you wrote uh, and, and unsuccessfully tweeted at J.K. Rowling a question. And it sounds like it, it sounds like a very simple question, which is, can wizards vote in Muggle elections? But what are the implications of that?
1: Well, the issue with wizards being able to vote in Muggle elections is really that there's huge segregation politically between muggles and wizards. And uh, I feel like the wizards are essentially controlling the muggle population because they can send their Minister of Magic in to just go and tell the Prime Minister what to do. Um, So essentially in that regard, he's a bit pointless and that might be why wizards have absolutely no interest in voting in muggle elections. Because they don't
3: need to participate in a democratic process because they are autocrats. Well, Stephen, that points up a slightly larger problem with um, Harry Potter. Obviously we know that J.K. Rowling is um, an impeccable Labour supporter and would never advocate... Uh, brutal autocratic leaderships. But even the what happens, I mean, Voldemort is obviously supposed to be a kind of, you know, Hitler Stalin style dictator and autocratic and cult leader. But what replaces him is sort of a benign dictator, isn't it? There's no real system of checks and balances in the wizarding world.
2: Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of intriguing questions. I mean, I always assumed they did vote because, yeah, he's a minister of magic, therefore applying, yeah. There's a development minister appointed by the Prime Minister. I'd assumed it was a a subsidiary department. But
3: But there's no Prime Minister of Magic.
2: That's because he's the Minister of Magic in the Prime Minister of Britain's government.
3: Yeah, but but the Prime Minister, not the Muggle Prime Minister, doesn't get to appoint him. So that's why I mean the whole thing is just a fiction, isn't it? There doesn't seem
1: to be any uh, elections at all. Um, Dumbledore gets offered in quotation marks the job of minister for magic several times but turns it down and you wonder what sort of process allows people at some unnamed body to just say hey would you like to be the minister for magic um and is that not the wizengamot which is thoroughly unexplored but seems to be slightly sinister potentially it could be the wizengamot though Dumbledore is already seems to be on the wizengamot so if the wizengamot can choose their own people to be the minister for magic that seems problematic especially if they're not elected
2: I mean, there doesn't appear to be that much of a welfare state. I mean, obviously, this, this comes to one big question of attitudes, which is why are the Weasleys so poor, right? So she has a job. I can't remember what it is, but she has some form of job. And he is a senior civil servant. Without wishing to offend any senior civil servants who may listen to the NS podcast, they're minted. I mean, <laughs> and, and also the children leave. They have fewer and fewer children who, presumably, if they're really that hard done by, can be sending money back to them. But you know, their care costs go down and they are still just as skin broke in. Book and normally if you were
3: like... a senior civil servant you'd be complaining all the time about your parent your private school fees, but Hogwarts doesn't appear to have any fees so far as we know, right? Yeah, it's not that he's... Harry's got some sort of special place because he's an orphan.
1: Well Harry's got Harry's got loads of money. Uh, money in the wizarding world seems to travel. Primarily through inheritance, there does not seem to be any sort of inheritance tax There's or anything no like wealth that. Wealth generation, exactly. Yeah. Um, There's
3: small businesses and enterprises being started by wizards, yeah. Apart from the Weasley and their joke shop, but that's the point. How do wizards earn money? Because they don't, they don't do. They know there aren't any wizard wealth creators. Yeah,
1: I think all the jobs essentially are ministry jobs, which is why. Um, I think that people in the Ministry don't seem to be particularly well imbursed for their time, and yet the people who are high up in the Ministry seem to be the people who've inherited most well. But the so...
3: problem is that what we're heading towards, Stephen, is the acknowledgement that possibly Mr Weasley is like a gambling problem. <laughs> or you know, spends it all at the bookies, or something that. would explain like it. Like that. Even,
2: so let's uh, go for the, the Anna theory, and then it's basically a Kremlin-style regime their civil servants are moved to the top with the minister of magic sitting atop this awful bureaucracy and they're not very well paid they should still become more wealthy as the book goes on because the yeah, younger the, the children are getting older
1: they can take sacrifices.
3: bill has gone to tame they're, dragons yeah. in wherever yeah that's charlie charlie what does bill do <laughs>
1: bill works for a bank so you'd think he'd have quite a lot of money but he i don't understand how that works but bill and charlie seem to be Separate from the family and not giving them any money. Percy, they sever ties with Percy, so there's no money coming in from him. Fred and George are always in the process of setting up the joke shop. So can Bill
3: it. and Charlie buy their own houses? I'm sure we'll return to well, this when Bill, we have John Hellage on the podcast later. But
1: I worry that this is very much becoming the economy section of our podcast. I think, um, think
3: we'll cope somehow, <laughs> but yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, basically, yeah, Bill has Shell Cottage with Fleur. They you know a lot know about it. Harry Potter. Yep. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Uh, Charlie, I mean, he's in Romania. We don't really get a sense of what his setup is like. I assume he can afford a house in Romania. Ah, oh, but that
2: suggests they are in the Schengen Agreement.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like,
2: further evidence that they are, in fact, a subsidiary of the UK government. Just saying.
1: Yeah. How do they Do, do they get on planes? Do they have passports? No, I mean, they can travel... By apparition immediately, so there doesn't seem to be See, any, Why any would you border control. If you
3: could apparate in France immediately, is,
2: I mean, we don't have a philosophy section, so I feel is a, another interesting question because an existentialist would say that when you apparate, you die. Yeah, I, I am the sum of my matter and my uh, yeah, my physical being. I'm reconstituted when I apparate. Therefore, you know, Stephen 1 has died. And a second Stephen with identical <laughs> memories, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Isn't that we'll the plot of born. that Christian
3: Bale film? That's, you know, the one I mean. Uh, the one that's got David Bowie as Nikolai Tesla.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the third one with the hats and, uh, and Hugh Jackman. What's <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: exactly that one. That one film, yeah. Well, if any of the listeners can prompt Stephen and my memories of a film that we've definitely seen, then that would be very helpful. but yes, I agree with you that there are i mean we again, we could talk probably all day about to my mind, the problems with the physical laws, but at the point when you're kind of trying to say, "Well, wait minute, mean, this magic doesn't obey the laws of the universe, you probably need to go and have a, a quiet to lie down <laughs> but okay, let's think of other things that are fundamental to u k politics, so democratic oversight
1: yeah, I think one of the really interesting things about harry potter politics versus our uk politics is that they have different priorities so while what would you say our priorities in our political system are like democratic freedom perhaps is yeah. the number
3: one one fighting inequality yes that's true no one seems to care about making the weasleys less poor yeah like even dumbledore is a bit like yeah but i need to destroy voldemort because he's mean and makes everyone be make an army he's not like kind of like and also i must really reduce marginal tax
2: There is no social democratic force within the wizarding world.
1: No, the the priority of the wizarding government is secrecy and keeping wizarding life hidden from muggles. And that's almost a completely contradictory priority to democratic freedom, which is all about transparency and knowing your government and stuff like that. So I think with that priority shifted, that kind of colours the entire politics of Harry Potter. And that's why people don't really know what's going on in their government, because they kind of just trust them to keep everything hidden from muggles. So that's the main point.
2: But to re-establish my um, my, uh, my uh, bona fides as a, a a Blairite, there is a big problem with school provision in, um, and public sector reform in the Harry Potter universe. There's only one school. As far as I can tell, it's pre-the abolition of grammar schools, which, as a good Blairite, I know, was a great step forward for education. Uh, yeah, it's pre-the abolition of grammar schools. It, as far as I can tell, there appears to be this hard and fast 11-plus style test. Are you magical or are you not? But but then you've got
3: owls and whatever the other ones are called.
2: So there is at least... But squibs, like, the only non-kind of, yeah, people from wizarding families who do not have particular abilities, like Filch, the embittered caretaker... It appears that the only jobs in the wizarding world are low skill, menial, uh, menial yeah, very far down the value chain, uh, not very productive. Um. Yeah, but
3: that leads us, unfortunately, to the idea that, in a sense, what we've got is a kind of apartheid society, which is not an uncomfortable. It's not a comfortable place to take the it's that the idea that it's, it is. that it's a kind of, you know, you are your your value as a human being is kind of very much and this is what I find quite uncomfortable about it so the sort of idea that you're valuing the wimpy Me is based on how good you are at magic but that's not something that you can work at that's just something that you're gifted it's like the way that Star Wars went from being like anybody can be a Jedi to then oh, actually know you have to inherit the might of Chlorians or whatever it whoa, was whoa,
2: whoa 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 I think you're referring to some Star Wars films which don't exist <laughs>
3: do we not acknowledge the canonicity of the of the prequels well at that point I probably should say that um, it has been decreed by Barbara who is not with us at the moment but that um pottermore doesn't count
1: yeah which I is fine with fair. me because
3: i've literally never read anything on pottermore but i sense for anna that might be more of a
1: no i i, I agree that pottermore is not canon but to, to go back to what steven said about the 11 plus idea there there is no test you just are on a magical list if you're magic when you're born which is really just like if you're born magic you can go to the school you can participate in society you can do all these other things if you're not, we do not care about. But you. that's
3: very cruel, isn't it? Like if you're the Hugely only cruel. squib in a family of five like if one of the Weasleys just turned out to have no magical ability, the sense of alienation from their essentially their whole family and their whole family's social circle would be incredible.
1: And to a lesser extent this is what you see in the like the tragedy of Dumbledore's family is that his sister is unable to control her magical powers and they try and like Contain her in the house and lock her away, and then she ends up dying in like a magical fight. It's all you know, terrible and horrible. Which book did that happen in? the seventh book, um, you find and out. We're really skipping through bad. that obviously yeah. at that I mean, point. The
2: seventh book is
1: bad.
0: <laughs>
2: oh really no! Die, the what seventh is saying? book drags. I mean, those no. interminable <laughs> camping scenes, and 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 then Harry, who by this point is one of fiction's greatest monsters to the point <laughs> that when they're trying to make Ron seem unsympathetic Ron's I mean J.K. Rowling has is, has is massively plays favourites with her three protagonists she locks Hermione in an unlovely unlo- marriage, right? Just like, I'm sorry, <laughs> oh, how be could becoming you minister these? for ma- magic. She shouldn't be marrying either of those dweebs, both of whom <laughs> would die about 30 times if it weren't for her, because they're too lazy to read Hogwarts of history. If
1: I was
2: <laughs> my by, by book five, I would just completely lost it. Just so
1: why won't you ever read Hogwarts I of history? I bought you a copy of the book, I left it on your pillow, please. <laughs> I laminated on cards. <laughs> I put post-it notes on the important pages, please read it
3: yeah that is yeah well that's a, i think i sense that might be a theme that comes up throughout our discussions is the fact that harry is in some ways one of the most boring protagonists mm. um well i yeah that's probably enough um politics chat i'm uh the next section will be economy with john Ellidge and caroline crampton but we'll be hearing more from stephen and anna later when we talk a little bit about fan fiction education and It's time to look at the economy in Harry Potter, for which Citymetric editor John Elledge and web editor Caroline Crumpton joins us. John, I hear a rumour that you can do a young Hagrid voice.
0: But that was actually a stupid joke I'm slightly regretting making um, because I did, in fact, audition for the part of young Hagrid in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Because at the age of 21, I was considered to be a uh, dead ringer for a young Robbie Coltrane, which is you know, charming. <laughs> It's exa- no, exactly exactly what everyone wants. Really. You have
3: Robbie Coltrane in like a massive beard. <laughs> That's my favourite
0: bit. Well, I mean, I mean, Young Hagrid was was very much very much the point here.
3: Did Young but, Hagrid ever actually make it into the
4: films?
0: Uh, yeah, but it's Robbie Coltrane in the dark. <laughs>
4: or something. So it's and yeah. They made him smaller, didn't they? I I
0: think would in fact cut the part by the time I auditioned because they gave me a they, they gave me the Tom Riddle part to read and I really didn't look like I was convincingly sixteen. Um, so.
3: So that mean that you saw the Harry Potter script before anyone else.
0: I I saw one scene.
3: That's quite yeah. That's that's cash. But, yeah, know, I could
0: I c- I could money. have been I could have been like a a, a, a fat Robert Pattinson. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that I could have had an entirely different career. It could be Robert Pattinson sat here now it's <laughs> about, about Metro maps.
5: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what does he
3: know about Metro maps, John? Nothing. Um, well, so that's I think a... it's all
0: worked out for the best, really.
3: That's a really great anecdote. I didn't know you were ever an actor. But
0: only in a Ponzi student fashion. I'm never, never a proper actor.
3: What parts have you played? As a Ponzi student actor. I'm
0: I'm mostly, I I feel we're getting off topic here. I don't care. (laughs) I mostly got typecast as Shakespearean drunks.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Great typecast. If it makes
3: you feel any better, I went to an all-girls school, so I, I exclusively played men throughout my teenage years. My Lysander in *The Tempest* stream is still much commented upon <laughs> in the Midlands. Um, Caroline, no, you don't need to tell me about what rules you were, roles you were forced to play at school and university. Uh, instead, I want to ask you about the idea of a post-scarcity society, which is kind of what uh, the Wizarding World appears to be. So there are certain rules, kind of not in a kind of matter cannot be created or destroyed thing, but then that's sort of true isn't it you can't create something permanently out of nothing you can create the illusion of something or you can make more of something
4: yeah so this is where we need to get nerdy about gamp's law of elemental transfiguration correct me if i'm wrong there anyone else but uh these these ideas that there are set rules in with magic that you can't create something out of nothing if you've got some of something you can make more of it but you can't just Create. This comes up in the seventh book, particularly when um, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are kind of on the run and lack of food is a serious problem. And Ron just keeps going to Hermione, You're good at magic, can't you just make food? And she's like, No, that's the whole point of our society that I actually can't do that.
3: How has Ron got to that age without learning that?
4: Well, I feel like that's a real reflection on Ron as a person <laughs> who's had, apparently had this incredible, prestigious education and he, that hadn't sunk in. But anyway. So he
0: grew up poor. So surely he would, that would have come up at home as well, wouldn't
4: it? Yeah, like, like oh, what's for
3: dinner tonight? Nothing. Well, can't you just make something, Mum? No, because <laughs> of Graham's Laws of Elemental Transformation.
4: All right, that's good. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, so even in spite of this, you you do get the sense in wielding society that kind of lack of resource is not really a problem, right?
0: Yeah, it doesn't make the slightest bit of sense, if we're honest here. But it does, um, though,
3: because, like you say, the Weasleys are, are poor. But so, what does
0: poverty mean? I mean, okay. I've so, got a rubbish I, I, house. I, 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 I did actually revise before coming in here right now. So I can tell you that one of the five exceptions under Gamp's law of elemental transfiguration is that you can't make money out of nothing. Which is fine, except money isn't a real thing. It's money kind of a, is still gold, it's right? b- but it's but still, currency it's like, isn't a real thing. I know what you mean. Yeah, the it's, idea it's a token of money for is, something else. It's like the idea of renewed. money is meaningless if you can just kind of, you know, magic a hi fi out of nowhere. I'm showing my age, by going to hi-fi there, aren't I? But no, but also, um, I
3: mean, in, even not, in our world, money doesn't exist in the sense that, like, in high, you know, in in, in lots of computers, there is negligible money technically exists, but w- w- what does it really? I, mean, I was get kind of like first-year philosophy student but What does it really mean, though? So yeah. there is there is that. I mean, money is already a sort of slightly philosophical concept anyway. It's only worth what you can buy the, with it. The
0: the, po- the point I'm getting at really is the idea that you know you can't get money out of nowhere. It sort of doesn't matter if you can get stuff out of nowhere because yeah. the only purpose of money is to give you access to stuff
4: and also this this also feeds into the the wheezy discussion but more generally what costs does a wizard have like you can travel for free you can presumably clothe and house yourself for nice, free your, your
3: education is for is free. can you clothe and house yourself for free because presumably they must still you can't buy everything like did not they ever go to wizards go to like new look Or do they buy everything from exclusive rope? Because there must be—you would think that there would be wizard fashions in the sense that if, like, your elders all were very like roby, there would be a rebellion movement where you all wore, you know, you were punk. You would have a a fashion rebellion, Mm, and you would want to go to non. Part of your identity would be going, not buying the clothes from the same place as your parents. Like, how many of us buy clothes from the same place our parents buy their clothes? I
4: probably do now. (laughs) 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 But you know what I mean. Not when I was sixteen. yeah.
3: Yeah. It's a, it's a it's a really difficult point but also and the same thing with housing you could presumably get free housing by making a little like what looks like a barn on the outside isn't this the wheezy thing they have the sort of windmill that looks kind of cack on the outside but it's actually amazing on the inside
0: so they can magic up a luxury tent i mean like it's clearly yeah, well, possible to I mean. I, I mean, I'm pull a combination about,
4: out of here. like you you can subsist effectively just on your magic Obviously, if you're the Malfoys and you want everything to be made of chased silver, you might actually spring for it. But
3: how do we think the Malfoys got all their money? How does one become a rich wizard? I
0: I have a theory... Exploitation. Exploitation of
4: goblins is my theory. I think way back in centuries ago, some Malfoy, you know, bought a mine and forced a load of goblins to work. But then presumably had to sell that to muggles. I think, think, yeah, I think, I mean, I can see what John says, he's squiggled down something here about population size and I think you have to. If you're going to make serious money, presumably you have to translate your wizardings because there's just not enough people for you to accumulate but well, that's what i mean
3: it's kind of like so morocco's got a closed currency so the idea is you're not supposed to take anything in and out of, of the country and i wonder if it's a bit like that with wizard society like what stuff are you you allowed to take in and out because actually you know one of the things that drives growth is having people of working age None of that really meaningfully makes sense in a wizarding context. They always seem to
0: work in the public sector as well, isn't it? Like, most of the jobs you hear about are are sort of, you know, wizarding police or civil service or so on. The Weasley twins
4: who are small business owners and entrepreneurs who leave school early to set up their chain of joke shops, they are considered to be really weird and unusual and probably mad, right?
3: Yeah, so so do wizards pay tax? And is there like a special wizard tax? I presume they don't bother paying, you know, council tax.
4: Which is probably because they do occasionally use the roads and stuff. That seems a bit cheeky. I,
0: I think this comes back to the, the age old question of whether wizards can vote in muggly elections. I <laughs> don't know we, if we've discussed any other done, points. We've, we've, in this we've, podcast? we've been
4: there. But I, I, want, I wondered, right, given that there is. But they must
3: have plumbing. Like, even if they're. Ha- <laughs> no, but this is the thing like, even that Winsley's windmill that doesn't look like a, a real windmill, they must have plumbing. Must they? No, so they must. They must involve. The, they're using the water supply. Do the Weasleys not have a flush toilet?
0: They use latrines.
3: <laughs> but it's a. Re- I, but I think all of this is a really like is a really is is a re- i think because it comes down to a really fundamental question about does for example is Wizard society growing? That's a really interesting question which I don't think is ever really addressed in the books because are they like a, you know, are they like a sort of Japan where they've got an ageing population? You know, do they, are there like wizard care homes? That's never really kind of, they can't do what a modern society like Britain might do where they bring in lots of immigra- immigrants who then make, you know, work and make money and pay tax and then pay to support older people. What What is the mechanism for that happening? And fundamentally, if they're, you know, if they're having 1.8 children, which is the same number, I mean, obviously on the Weasleys, mm. they're doing their bit, but, you know, if, if other people are having 1.8 children, that means that wizard societies Gradually, essentially dying out. I guess
4: the only way it is growing, and it's not, it is by um, intermarriage with Muggles. That whilst um, and spontaneous no, no, generation, I guess, yeah. like
3: a Hermione who is just yeah, randomly. Exactly. But no
4: matter how many children that kind of mixed marriage has, you've incorporated another adult into your community by doing that.
3: Yeah, although I've never really got the, uh, how the hang of how sort of mixed race marriages work in, in Harry Potter, and how much you, the Muggle partner is kind of allowed into well, the whole few, club. There's a few
4: that are, are shown to not work at all. Like I think, isn't it Seamus Finnegan, um has he relates later on in the books that he has this where I think it's his mum who's the who's the witch, and his his dad's muggle, and he left her when he found out that she was a witch, and so he grew up just with a single parent.
3: So she pretended that she wasn't magical. That's a kind of great metaphor, isn't it, for, like, patriarchy and stuff, mm. is that she had to, like... I'm not going to get into that sort of thing about the thing in Friends where Phoebe gives him a lecture about you know, like don't hide your wind, <laughs> um, but you know that she felt that she didn't want to threaten him as as a man, and then unfortunately it turned out that she was truly she was more powerful than him and he couldn't handle that.
0: Maybe he was just pissed off that she had all these magical powers and she hadn't been using them to generate stuff. I mean, it's a post scarcity <laughs> society. It's like he wanted like an iPad or something.
3: He that could have been true. As he like laboured in the shed making yeah. you know help or like painting the with the, laboriously painting the front room. <laughs> he might have gone like you could have said something that took me three weeks <laughs> i'm terrible at wallpapering yeah so i guess that might be the thing uh as well um i just to 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 finish john i just want to ask you what jobs outside the public sector do you think that uh, a wizarding society would would need or could support
0: it's really difficult to envision i mean again it's, it's this all feels like a sort of category error because we haven't got past this, the post-scarcity thing like if if the only things you can't pull out of nowhere are food and money and money doesn't mean anything I suppose farming maybe, maybe there are wizard farmers maybe maybe one, that's one,
4: one thing I can think of is is sort of um like ex fancy expertise and stuff so when Bill and Fleur get Married at the beginning of the seventh book, there are like fancy caterers and um, obviously some company that they've hired to make the fancy magic wedding tent. So obviously we know that some wizards are better at some kinds of magic Etsy. than others. That's basically but, but you're saying is so there's a massive wizard Etsy, yeah, sort of like Crafting. luxury specialists and stuff. I can imagine. So same goes for like the clothes. So yeah, and people yeah, who do the can, fireworks and yeah, stuff exactly. like that. Everyone can make a cloak, but this woman is Vivian Westwood and she's really good at making cloaks, kind of thing
3: except if she was in the book, she'd have to have she'd have to be called like ren (laughs) mingley or something um sorry i just the the names i can't i can't get over the names sometimes um i'm sure we'll return to some of the themes that we've touched on here but thank you very much to john and caroline We now move on to the subject of education, which makes sense as the majority of the Harry Potter books take place at Hogwarts, a slightly strange boarding school that seems to be somewhere in Scotland. I'm joined by Barbara Speed and Stephanie Boland. Um, First of all, what do you make of Hogwarts's curriculum, Stephanie?
5: (laughs) I think it's fundamentally pedagogically unsound, to be (laughs) be fair. Um, The obvious hole in the the Hogwarts curriculum is the, the core skills of English and maths do not seem to be taught at Hogwarts. I don't know if they're integrated into other learning objectives and you know... Quality. I don't see
3: how you would do a potions <laughs> thing and then like be like today is potions and algebra or like today is potions and quadratic equations. It doesn't really... I know what you mean. It, everyone seems to be speak very... like everyone is very posh there in in the sense of like they're very you've used the right fork and they you know they all sort of have a very good vocabulary and all those kind of soft skills that a public school is supposed to teach you. without that ever seem to be integrated into the the lesson plan
5: no not at all and it's and it's we were just discussing earlier in the office there also seems to be very little in the way of vocational subjects which is weird given that almost everyone in the listening world seems to go on to work in the public sector.
3: But then again, maybe they do do English and maths, because you know that whole episode where it turns out Hermione's had the time turner and she's been able to go to four times as many lessons? Is
5: it just her going to English lessons on well, I don't know, own?
3: but I just don't know how there could be that many other lessons that you wouldn't be able to fit into. Like, you know, I, I took 11 GCSEs. That was, I don't think they've ever named more than 11
6: subjects that they had.
5: There's definitely not more than 11 subjects, but there are scenes where we see them get
6: their timetables, and that doesn't seem mm. to be... And each teacher, I mean, there are a limited number of teachers, and you meet all of them, so... How they, mean, they manage to teach all the students is another question for <laughs> another day. <laughs> <laughs> the biology... Um, t- yeah, well, exactly. Their a union must be really Maybe they've all got time
3: turners. They could do, yeah. Maybe. That's very true, actually. There seems to be one teacher per subject. And yes. no, yeah, and and that's that doesn't necessarily really stack
6: up in terms. of... How many students are there at Hogwarts?
5: It's actually got to be very this small. This is another if you think of the, men, the number of girls and boys in each.
6: But yeah, if you think of the number number of wizards that are implied to live in the UK, it doesn't. Like I think that this is why work on the films must have been fascinating because you'd have been going to J.K. Rowling, being like, "How many bil- How many rooms are we putting in this
0: castle, J.K.?" <laughs>
6: like this is not adding up at all. <laughs> how many classrooms are there? There can't be more than what thirteen classrooms because why how many would people you have are there more? per year right, per so there's,
5: so there's five boys in the Gryffindor dorm. Hang on, Anna. Looks like this is Isn't something
1: she it? definitely knows. Okay, let's let's bring in.
3: Let's. Let, I think like this is like countdown. Let's appeal to the expert. Let's bring in. Bring Anna in here, who who knows.
1: No, sorry. I think Stephanie's absolutely right. I think there's about ten girls and boys in each house in each year, so about forty to a year. Seems about seven a small years. Number of students. And
6: seven years, yeah. So, so two hundred and eighty, and so yeah, you could realistically have about. 11 or 12 lessons going on at once. That implies
3: a very small wizarding population in Britain, though, doesn't it? If you think that, if you if you work forward on all those kind of cohorts, although I guess there are also ones in Bulgaria abroad. and yeah. people like that. But there's no Swiss suggestion that schools. Durmstrang or whatever the other schools are called like, are, are bigger, are there? So.
5: There's a weird bit where Draco's mum considers sending him there. Because Hogwarts, it's a bit sort of fascist. Yeah,
3: riddled with scum. And I, I do sort of think that Hogwarts is maybe a bit like a sort of Montessori school. Like, <laughs> it's sort of kind of like, you know, it's supposed to be kind of like, well, like Stowe has always had that reputation in terms of boarding schools. It's like the one where like, maybe people do like drop out and smoke loads of Ouija, but like it's like a rounded education, yeah. It's a
5: bit
6: more holistic. Yeah, that's the kind of yeah. <laughs> thing well, that's probably its reputation. Have, none of them seem to have gone to primary school so presumably they're giving them all their social skills on top of everything else there's no it's sort of suggested the Wheezy's are homeschooled yes, um, what
3: is the feeder school for Hogwarts because obviously never, presumably like Harry goes to a normal school
6: I think they just yeah. don't go to school I think they school. don't go unless they're a, a mudblood sorry to use that word in which case <laughs> In so which case, offended. they would go to a normal school. But there's no higher education either. But that's a huge
3: burden on, like, I mean, you'd imagine it would fall on women as well, on on wizarding women that they have to mm. homeschool their their kids. Yeah, or...
5: although wizard nurseries, are there take them along to Was the the in preschool. Yeah, it was a preschool. Adorable. You What's know, the ministry controls everything? They must have some kind of. But that's also a kind of
3: interesting point. I and mean, we we were talking about the uh, idea about the fact that you know Dumbledore's sister couldn't control her magic. But actually, like when your magic appears, presumably you're not instantly like. I don't know if you've ever been to a normal nursery, it's, it's or like a soft play area. Heaven <laughs> forbid, have you ever been to the Wacky Warehouse? But imagine like that, but with as well as all the kind of sick. They were we'll also be like letting off little spells accidentally. Because I presume you don't have full control of your magic no, initially. No, they definitely
5: don't. That's why well, Harry have the opening thing? scene yeah, where he accidentally lets a snake loose. Mm-hmm. It's, but it's
3: but bad that's bad. what I mean. Running a, running a wizard nursery school, like a kindergarten, must be a, not a job for the faint of heart.
5: No, no, although I guess the adults are also magical. It'd be more of a problem if you had a magical child in a well, mainstream... This is, this is why
6: surely they don't go to muggle schools. Hmm. Because... That, that's yeah. exactly what but it's the it's the idea
3: that particularly that like, puberty brings on magic.
6: Well, that's the implication, isn't it? Because that whole first book is kind of a weird sort of coming of age story in which he stops defining himself by his family hating him and instead defines himself by magic, <laughs> um, <laughs> which they detect <laughs> in him and see him as really special. But that age eleven is very like because I
3: guess that I don't think that is the case because I think he's probably too young. But it kind of makes sense, you know, like. Um, in his Dark Materials, that the whole thing mm. about your your demon and your demon mm. only fixes really when you first feel kind of sexual love for someone else, really, like that's you know it's all pre kind of sexual love when you're a young teenager, that that's you know that's a qualitative difference as you're becoming an adult that your personality becomes fixed in some way. I wonder if it's supposed to be the same thing. In which case, you would think that there would be kind of a most societies you would then anthropologically expect them to have some kind of ritual that happened to you. Like, you know, the way that Catholics yeah. have First Communion and Jewish community has Bar or Bat Mitzvahs. You'd kind of expect that to be built in, and I don't see any evidence of that, like, you know, Tommy's first spell day
6: or whatever. But the letter comes when you show signs of magic. The letter is almost a kind of ritual. And, stuff. and obviously the fact it's made so such a big deal for Harry by mm-hmm. uh, the Derses refusing him to see it mm. um, makes it even, even more of a thing.
3: Um, to ask a very banal question... Um, Stephanie, would uh, would Hogwarts port pass its Ofsted inspection?
5: I don't think so. I think it's you know its learning outcomes are too uncertain. I think the assessment criteria aren't aren't transparent in any way. You can get 200 percent in the exam. You and know, this is, is it's it a failing school? Is it
3: closer to a grammar school or a free school?
5: I would I would, I would say You know, it's a public school, isn't it? Because yeah. um, another thing we we were discussing when when brainstorming this podcast is how much freedom and control the teachers have within the school environment. You know, there's... Mm. Until the introduction of Umbridge, who comes in from the ministry and starts to... That's what I mean, It's quite, it is so quite no, a free school in yeah. the sense
3: that there is, obviously, there's no oversight structure. There's no kind of supra school, you know. So it is directly responsible to the Secretary of State. So in that sense, it's like a free school. But it is like a grammar school in the sense that there is a kind of 11 plus and admission is only on ability.
5: And you do seem to have State administered exams, so you have owls and newts, so you have GCSEs and A levels, which do, are externally assessed. So there's a strange, com- I don't know why they'd need to be externally assessed given that there's no other wizarding school in the country. Um, yeah, there must
3: be a terrific amount of teaching to the test, wasn't there? Given that I'm sure that the same people who set them and mark them, you know, this product, given how small the wizarding community are, you must pretty much know the people know the who the examiners. Set
5: yeah, it's another classic example of nepotism in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, really.
6: Um. But equally, I mean, none of the teachers can be qualified because they don't have any teaching <laughs> universities or universities There's no teach first. There's no so, teach first. <laughs> no, exactly. So that is, again, more like a public school where... Yeah. And this is... is so
5: interesting, what you were saying about there being no higher education. You know, you must mm. do a tremendous amount of on-the-job training. Well, I mean, Aura's
6: trained for three years post-school. Although the real question is whether Harry had to go back and take his... his he newest. didn't.
5: He didn't finish, and Hermione, Hermione did
6: him and Ron didn't go back. So he was therefore so, trained without even a full secondary. Education. I
3: think you would probably yeah. say exceptional circumstances, but that's interesting because <sighs> um, so in the later Terry Pratchett books, obviously, there's um, the Unseen University there, which is a magical university, and they have a bit that happens. You see, the Unseen University is already in there from since like the third book, Equal Rights, um, but later on we get to a stage where you get. Condor Dibbons essentially trying to kind of create like understand the kind of theoretical underpinnings and eventually they begin to regard magic more and more like quantum physics so they have this mm-hmm. big computer that they kind of they think can be that can kind of and people are kind of essentially doing like PhD level research and postdoc research on magic. Everyone seems like wildly uncritical about magic as a sort of theoretical discipline. They just inherit spells that at some point
5: someone has discovered. Is there a, Are there people actively looking for new spells? See, there definitely are, because we know that Dumbledore's done research. He seems to be in contact with other people who do frontline research. Mm. And you have people like Snape annotating his school textbook in the. Um...
3: Although he didn't feed that into a better later edition of the textbook, despite no. it being the potions monster no, no,
5: no, for no. some time. But, but there's definitely that idea that there's a theoretical underpinning you can access and manipulate. But
6: there's into. also a complete lack of um, interest in doing that, in that there encouraged not to do anything outside the curriculum. Snape's doing naughty things by kind of inventing these other spells or discovering these other spells. Yeah, it's spells. actually very... There's all those them. banned books. Like, they're not actually encouraging them to no, think beyond... it's very beyond... pre-enlightenment. It's, almost, yeah. it's like, this is the, like the, these are the
3: teachings. It's a very kind mm-hmm. of, like, this Master is the word of the book that you yeah. accept and you do it and you don't, you're not encouraged to kind of critical thinking or, yeah. or anything that's outside of, of what we currently know, which is a very oddly like, static kind of state for a society to be in. Mm-hmm. It's not very um. It's it's one that you imagine might actually be quite stultifying to live in that there are a lot of yeah. you know, bad books,
6: and also that the magic is uncontrollable as a young person, and then is later controlled, and then like, even later on, Harry is kind of taught that you can sort of do magic just by like thinking about it. Which again, the fact that they're taught these like selective spells <laughs> begins
3: but- to look quite. That comes limiting. back to the idea and we were talking in a previous section about what happens in like in nursing, like nursing homes, and presumably at the end of your life, for a certain percentage of wizards, they would become you know they would get dementia and they would again lose the ability to control their spells. Now I never I, I, that's the thing I, w- I would like to I would like to hear more about like what happens to really old wizards who like lose their marbles essentially.
6: Go to St. Mungo's.
5: <laughs> yeah, the only palliative care we see is Gilderoy Lockhart. Who, who has lost his mind? But he doesn't seem to. He just kind of doddles around. He doesn't start turning things into.
3: Do wizards get yeah. cancer? And if so, can they cure it? Like, what do wizards die <laughs> <In battle>. of? <it, laughs> apart from yeah, exactly, like giant snakes. That's, why, that's one of the things I don't. They because,
5: do die of old age because Nicholas Flamel stops taking the philosophy. I was going to say, but that's
3: what I don't understand. Is, so Nicholas Flamel is obviously quite.
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
3: We've been like living for ages and ages and yeah. ages. But actually, what presumably you could cure cancer through magical means. That wouldn't uh, tra- transgress the laws. So what do you die of eventually? Well,
6: they obviously have medical care, and it's it's funny, it's quite sort of herb-based, but, but judging by what they use in Hogwarts, and I remember when Harry his arm is is mm. cursed, mm. and she kind of says, oh, if this had happened a different way, it would be much worse. So there are obviously limits to what they can do. Yeah. But I'm not sure what those are.
5: Well, they live amongst a lot of dangerous creatures, so I wonder how many of them, it's, it's like an extreme version of Australia in Hogwarts, <laughs> where <is> kind of <laughs> everything wants to kill you. Mm. Um, I wonder, when your time comes, do you just wander off into the forest? Yeah. And-
6: well, also, I mean... Double- I say later to the big spider. Yeah. yeah. Come at me, Aragorn. And up puts Harry in so much peril that you kind of hope that they do have a better medical system that could... They have a six-week referral by.
3: limit. Um, well, on that, again, bombshell, <laughs> uh, thank you for the moment very much to Stephanie and Bob. We turn now to the subject of sex and relationships in Harry Potter, for which I'm joined by Stephen Bush once again and Anna Leskiewicz. Uh, I'm going to talk to you first, because I think it's really important, about feminism during Harry Potter. Do you consider Harry Potter to be feminist works, Anna?
1: Oh, I've never really thought about that before. I think it can get quite messy when you decide like this is a feminist thing with a capital F and this is not.
3: Is it are they books that are interested in the position of women? I guess that's a more interesting question.
1: I think obviously the in, the, the most interesting character we have for that is is Hermione who is shown to com- consistently outperform her male peers um and get little credit for it. So, although that's not a very positive outlook, it's clear that Um, she does face some sort of obstacles based on her gender that that, you know harry and ron get a lot of glory for their um their bravery and these other masculine and it does seem like a society where women can rise to the top i'm not sure there was a have there ever been a female minister for magic i mean i'm sure you could find an example in pottermore or something like that but um not there's certainly not one that's made a they make a female head of hogwarts I think it's strongly implied that McGonagall takes over at yeah. some point. So, and a lot of the I most powerful. I think McGonagall is... is like the Nicola
3: Sturgeon of, yeah. uh, of Harry Potter. Don't you yeah. think she's just kind of quietly efficient, and Dumbledore is basically sort of making like these grand gestures all the time, and she's just like.
1: No, no, but someone's just got to run the school,
5: <laughs> if you don't mind, Albus.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, most of the, a lot of the female characters, especially the female teachers, like McGonagall and um, Madame Pomfrey and people like that, are shown to be extremely competent, more competent than their. But there is, a, I, there is, is a,
3: I think there are two characters which are hashtag problematic, and those are Dolores Umbridge and Rita Skeeter, because I think yeah. they're both caricatured in a particular way they are like the symbols of femininity are kind of used like because there's all this stuff about just just like glasses and her nails and her you know her lipstick and all this kind of stuff and you get the same thing with Umbridge and it, there's a big thing about you can read female character through how women dress i think that's that's a kind of interesting thing that is rarely explored
1: yeah no i think that's definitely true that you know the the boys are repulsed by umbridge's pink bows and pink frilly dresses and all the cats in her room because they see her as not authentically feminine because she's also mean and evil well, and ugly and ugly and toad-like. Um, and a similar thing happens with Rita Skeeter where they they find her her sort of nails and and snakeskin bags and red lips and stuff repulsive because she doesn't conform to what they would expect from a woman. Um, yeah. So then, yeah, those those are definitely problematic characters. Um.
3: So Stephen, I know you've got strong feelings about the relationship between Ron and Hermione, which is one of the kind of central relationships in the book. Aren't they just the cutest couple? No.
2: She's too good for him. I mean the 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 story of Harry Potter is the story of one like really together woman. And these two utterly, yeah, just, I mean, Harry doesn't listen to anyone. The the number of problems, and indeed the number of people who die because Harry doesn't listen to other people, and continually just goes, you know, my parents are dead. I mean, a large part of Book 7 is Harry refusing to accept the idea that his teachers might have private lives. This is a 17-year-old man. (laughs) Uh, And Ron resents Harry for being famous, he... Comes from a family, which, as we know, there is clearly something sinister going on there. Um, and, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being the Dennis Thatcher to Hermione's Margaret. Uh, Margaret, But I don't think that he's willing to that role. I think he's going to undermine her. He's going to keep her down. He's going to hold her he's back. He's going to neg her. He's going to neg her, yeah.
3: Yeah, I think, there's, I think there's a really interesting... There is an interesting point about Because it, obviously it's young adult fiction, particularly from the mid, you know, sort of... Yeah, a goblet of fire? No, was it a goblet of? It's a goblet, it's goblet of, of fire correct,
2: Yeah. it does feel like she's suddenly gone, wow, they've gone old. Turn on the
3: sex tap because yeah. things are smouldering in the corridors. Um, uh, but then you get a lot about rejection and and that's... And I think it's quite interesting because it's, often, it's bit, like You do get, I think, more male subjectivity. So you hear a lot about how Harry is V-sad about the fact that Cho Chang prefers Diggory to him. And then you hear quite a lot about how Ron is V-sad that um, uh, Fleur Delacour doesn't doesn't like him. You don't hear necessarily so much about Hermione. I mean, there's one bit where she sort of bursts into tears and then she goes, oh, Ron, how could you not have seen that I was really upset about this?
1: Yeah, she gets very angry when Ron gets a new girlfriend um, and she makes angry birds fly at his head. But that is literally sort of that we're meant to just glean her whole subjectivity from those kind of incidents. Uh, Harry is perhaps implied more likely to talk about these kinds of things with Ron and it, it's really from Harry's point of view. So maybe that's one explanation why we get a lot more male subjectivity, but yeah, there's sort of the idea that Hermione the whole way through the books is sort of de- suppressing and dealing with these feelings, but we, it's really interesting. It's probably more interesting. That's the most interesting part of their group group dynamic um, and yet we we don't really see any of it.
3: And you don't see a lot of, of of women in the books having conversations with each other about something other than man. To quote that kind of Bechdel test. Yeah, kind of if thing. you looked
1: at it in that regard, I think it would be it, oh. it's, it's a real problem because I mean there's very few scenes that Harry's not in, so it'd be quite hard to have a scene with two women apart from you know all the flashbacks, all the bits with Voldemort, things like that. Um, but yeah, that women. The problem, the the issue at the heart of the books is this power struggle between two men, mm. and all the conversations in some way seem to keep coming back to that. And yeah, you don't really get much of a female perspective on that.
3: Yeah, that's interesting. And what about um, kind of what about in terms of not kind of compulsory heterosexuality? I'm aware this is sounding a bit like a slate piece. <laughs> like, is Harry Potter heterosexist? But it is it is a, an overwhelmingly straight world. Whereas if you think if this was a kind of I don't know, but it comes back to the idea of a post scarcity society. You think it might be. Why is it so kind of socially conservative in some ways? Why is it not like people just lounging about in divans having sex with each other all the time? Why does everyone get married and settle down? Well,
2: we forget that it is set during the the 80s, well, the early 90s. You know, the book ends in 1996, 97? It, it ends in the, the late 90s. So, you know, so a lot of that would... What you're saying is the Wizarding World needs Tony Blair. The Wizarding World needs Tony Blair. <laughs> I mean, there, there is no problem he
1: can't solve. Um, yeah, but it, would it, they have voted for him? If, if they could very cast me, might I don't
2: know Claire Short, Minister for Magic? But yeah, <laughs> this is this is a Britain before this kind of liberalisation. It's before the. The kind of equalisation of the age of consent—it's yeah—it's a—it's a dark '90s world.
3: I guess that is the thing that it brings up is that although I'm I I guess because I, I read it when I was younger, I didn't really fully appreciate how much society has changed. But you were still getting newspaper articles about kind of like pufters in the '90s. That was yeah. kind of still the thing that happened. Like you say, the age of consent had been We certainly didn't have gay marriage or even civil partnerships in the 1990s. It was just, it was actually just that that. That particular strand of society has moved on really very quickly. I
1: think that is a, it's a fairly generous view, because obviously writing in the in the noughties, J.K. Rowling could have, you know, if, if she felt that that was why she was excluding gay characters, could have maybe discussed that somehow. Um, but they they Dumbledore, for example, she says he's gay, but it's not specified anywhere in the book. Or if Sirius, if people think that Sirius was in love with James, and that's where a lot of that conflict comes really? from. they
2: are oddly sexless it does feel that basically the characters in Harry Potter only experience sexual desire kind of it is like these weird tattoos so there's the kind of Sweet Valley Hogwarts effect in book 6 but even that is on these really weird straight lines so Hermione likes Ron. Ron likes Hermione. They don't tell each other. So, does Hermione even find an alternative boyfriend, or does she, she just? She's
1: with Victor Crumb for a while.
2: But in book six, I think she just fulminates about it. Yeah. And then Ron finds someone who likes him, but he's he likes her, and they go out. They're, they're actually their relationships are entirely through diagonals. Even sort of the Cho Chang thing. Harry spends a year pining over her. She chooses someone else who dies. They spend a the kind of year with the world's most awkward and terrible relationship. Yeah.
3: But he already kind of was slightly interested in Ginny Weasley, or she was certainly very interested in him from book two. Ginny, Ginny
1: Weasley's definitely yeah. That's another one where it's like oh, all unrequited love will eventually. Well, come that's a good. very weird
3: thing. Like, how many couples do you know in real life who actually first fell in love when they were eleven or fourteen?
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's an odd thing. I mean, I think the the, and still the implied and thing children. is that Harry's not meant to notice until. You know, notice Ginny at all until she's, you know, <laughs> of a, an acceptably... But I remember talking to,
3: to Danny Dawling, who's um, a professor of, of human geography, and he says, you know, he, he now teaches at my old college, and he said, you know, I get all these kids who come here, and I, I want to say to them, you know, in their first year, like, how, how many of you are in a relationship? That won't last.
1: <laughs> Break up with them now. But yeah. it's
3: very true. Very few relationships, even from university, survive. You know, people take, are taking longer and longer to settle down with their partners. It's very anomalous that apparently what happens in the Wizarding world is that everyone at seventeen. It's kind of meets slight, through school. Slightly kind of like Mormon in the sense. It's very you know. It's what I mean about it being quite a conservative society and that is of a piece with the fact that kind of Dumbledore is the the kind of Ted Heath essentially. Like it's like he has no private life and then people later project back onto it and then say, Well actually it's quite liberal. But the whole point is if you don't you know if no one's yeah. allowed to talk about it at the time, it's actually it's not it's not evidence of any great liberalism. Yeah. Okay, we'll all agree. I don't know, I've talked myself around to the idea that the Harry <laughs> Potter books are actually really weirdly socially conservative on well, sex I mean, relationships. Because they
2: are ultimately books about school. Um with this kind of.
3: You're really undermining the premise of us projecting a huge amount of like social discourse onto them by oh, like, going, yeah, really but aren't they just breaking, like. <laughs> breaking
2: the fourth wall here. Um, yeah, in the. The teachers don't have an inner life in that. So uh, I, I've now lived in Stoke Newington for some time, uh, but I've discovered recently <laughs> one of my old English teachers who. There is a non-trivial possibility listens to this podcast, in which case I'm sorry. Uh, lives there. And it's one of those weird moments where you see your teacher and it's like, No, but you're not allowed to exist You don't exist in outside the real yeah. world. As
1: Tina Fey says in mean girls, it's like seeing a dog walk on its hind legs. Yeah. yeah but i n I'm sure
3: like everyone remembers that moment. I remember the first time that we were in our like one of Worcester's premier night spots and then our, like our physics teacher walked in and you were like uh what is going on this is like no you just you did you know at 5 p.m on a friday you just dis- we let like, you go and i don't know knit or something mm. uh that's all. one thing i would know I, I want to cover just to finish up um anna on this segment is the idea of um consent which is worryingly drawn so this idea of, of love potions first of all that you would teach 13 and 14 year olds how to make other people fall in love with them and override their own f- free will. Or is the idea that love potions can only do reveal what's really in your heart anyway? Is that the way to kind of get around it? Like hypnotism can't make you murder someone. It can only
1: Love potions are sort of only shown to have messy ends in the books, which is why you're like, well why is it on the curriculum for young children then? Um but for example, uh Tom Riddle's mother um fell in love with Tom Riddle's father in the village that she was growing up in and he's a muggle and she, you know, it's implied that she either uses a love potion or has him under the imperious curse and that's how she keeps him for years and years and years and then she thinks that oh well yes exactly i will have revealed what's really in his heart all along and then he wakes up from the spell and is like oh my god what is going on and, and is this obviously deb- debarts immediately out. uh Vane Vane gives ron a poisoned box of chocolates that just goes terribly yeah i would not put this on the pre-gcse curriculum No, and it's problematic and not just because it's not successful but because obviously it depends upon you know overriding the idea that other human beings have consent um so yeah that's quite it's it's a big problem um okay well on that note i think that's probably enough sex and
3: relationships for now thank you for the moment um very much to stephen and anna And now, we've nearly come to the end of our time with Harry Potter and the books. Let's just have a little chat about the epilogue, uh, a very controversial part of the book, I think it's fair to say. I'm joined by Caroline Crampton and Stephanie Boland. Um, so, Caroline, first of all, tell us what happens in the epilogue. So, the end of the books proper, Dumbled... No, hang on a minute. Snape dead, Voldemort defeated, quite a lot of people that you quite liked, including that nice one of the Weasley
4: twins. Also dead. yeah. <laughs> And, and then battle of Hogwarts concluded the good guys have won um Bellatrix the stranger's dead all of that that's yeah that's the end of the books proper and then 19 years later mm-hmm. we get this sort of two or three page epilogue which features um an all-grown-up Harry Hermione Ron Ginny seeing their kids off uh on the platform at King's Cross onto the Hogwarts Express um and I I can't remember exactly but a couple of their kids are going to Hogwarts for the first time so it's kind of a, a mirror back to what um the first book when you know Harry and Ron and Hermione were going for the first time you know you but see, there are problems you aren't there like familiar faces we see Draco and Malfoy kind of through this <laughs> it's just it's just awful I'm trying I'm trying to treat this seriously before we get into it but I just can't so, the choice, um, so is there any sense that
3: like maybe just because it's Relatively, quite a small world—the Wizarding world—that Harry and Draco have maybe just kind of grown up a bit and kind of mm-hmm. let Sleeping Dogs lie, rather than having a massive running feud. Share for...
6: a glance
5: on the platform, and I think there's. Just I they that's run into each
3: other, not least like sort of parent evil, <laughs> so
5: <Very> but... teacher association. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh
4: but I think so. There are there are many problems with this epilogue, not least that it is just ridiculous, um, because obviously J.K. Rowling has spent decades of her life in this world now, and she wants everyone to have. As happy an ending as possible so she wants to name check everyone so there's an awful lot of that kind of like harry a glance with draco we see x over there it's all very kind of overly explanatory um there's also the fact that um harry and ginny have named their sons after as many people who died in the battle as possible so that one of them's called albus severus you know they've all got Names that cast back, which are just, I think, just as well they're going to
3: a special school, isn't it? <laughs> really?
4: Draco, Draco has at least—he's oh, called his kid Scorpius. Which okay, whilst, <laughs> come whilst, on, you can't <laughs> shout that out in Waitrose. No, <laughs> whilst the crazy name is at least the kid's own name, not the names of dead famous people that everyone has heard of. That you are now, you know, and and then kind of some of the dialogue between Harry and Ron is really forced. You wonder, like, would they still be such good friends nineteen years later? And then also the other thing to mention is that the way, part of what colours this is the way that it was done in the film adaptation where the then, I think, 19-year-old uh, Daniel Radcliffe and the other actors were all kind of given cheek padding and like slightly salt and pepper wigs to kind of play the 20-year-old versions of themselves. and
3: That just sounds innately hilarious. It's
4: just hilarious and, I don't know, it's just like a real, just... It really like slams you in right at the end where you think, oh, that was, a, that was a great saga, I really enjoyed that. Oh, wait, no, this is terrible.
3: Um, Stephanie, I can see that Caroline's angry about the epilogue. <laughs> Are you angry about the epilogue too?
4: I'm angry on the
5: same levels and on other levels as Caroline is angry. Cause I, I mean, I think aside from the ridiculous names, because you're right, at least Scorpius obeys. <laughs> Scorpius is such <laughs> a bear. It sounds like a makeup trainer. It's so bad. <laughs> But at least it obeys the ridiculous naming conventions of the Malfoy clan. I mean, nobody in that family but has at a But at some point, name. are they going to
3: run out of scary animals? There's one of them, presumably one of them's called, like, Spiderus. And, like, I don't know, earwigus. <laughs> <Arachnism>,
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: exactly. Just, like, like, Latin and Greek names of slightly unpleasant animals.
5: Um, but also, it, it doesn't fit with the narrative of those stories at all. Because the whole driving force of Harry Potter is a world that's pretty nasty. So you get to the end and just go... Suddenly everything's fine and there's no further conflict in the world. It's infuriating.
4: It, it is, um, and it, it also some of what is good about the seventh book is that we get a lot of the um, the sense that for the generation well, above Harry and Ron and Hermione, um, and even above that, the the Grindelwald, uh, Grindelwald conflict in the sort of in the Second World War was there. Voldemort. That was another kind of. For
3: those, the soul oh, of the just, world.
4: just 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 like,
3: just maybe just like assume. <laughs> For the sake of so, argument, that um, I don't know what the Grindelwald so,
4: so, conflict is. So, so, um, Grindelwald was a, a previous evil wizard um, who also like tried to had kind of Dumbledore, a, Dumbledore's kind of uh, childhood friend and then later nemesis, um, who had some really Aryan ideas about.
3: Also what we've about learned here is that purity. Dumbledore's got terrible judgment. Yeah, oh, that is
6: or,
5: the whole point of the whole book. Or if you have a universe populated by magic people who can do infinitely terrible things a certain number of them are going to do this and you cannot have a nice utopia in a british school right, it doesn't the, work
4: the point the point is uh, that they establish all the way through the seventh book is that you know uh, good and evil come in waves and this was just the latest evil that always that human beings are always going to make terrible decisions and then as you say in the epilogue it's like oh wait no but actually it was fine after so that.
3: this is the idea that the final lines are you know harry scar hadn't hurt for x number of years and all was well
4: all was well
3: But presumably, the feeling is that at some point, another. He hasn't defeated all evil in the world forever.
5: He has, uh, though, according to the. But he's still working as
4: an aura, so it doesn't even make sense. Yeah,
3: what do you you awe if there's no. That nothing to be all aw- aura I,
4: I, I sort of imagine, right, that um, the Aura office is a lot like a kind of slacking off New York Police Department office. Like they eat <laughs> a lot of donuts. they don't move around much. They sit on, a lot on of, like...
3: steakhouse, <laughs> like in Beverly Hills Cop.
5: Because <laughs> if all is well, then there's no evil, right? Or well, maybe it's like the police on the Isle of Silly, where it's like a goose has gone missing, we have to go get it back. Yeah. Like, or, maybe. or there was
4: actually a report just, um, just recently of there's a, one of the... Scottish Isles, Canada. They had they had their first crime in 50 years and someone stole some woolly hats. <laughs> and maybe yeah, that, that happens like, at Hogwarts. That, that kind of, like, oh, of no. the, Very the low the level pudding's theft. has gone missing. <laughs> but um, it's also, I think, worth mentioning that um, this is not just Stephanie and I who feel like this. Um, EWE is a very much-used tag in Harry Potter chat on the internet in fan fiction, which stands for epilogue, what epilogue? If you see any thread or fifth tag with that... It means it is non epilogue compliant. The author has pretended that the epilogue didn't exist and has operated without it. It's, it's really everywhere. You just want to go
5: in like the guy at the beginning of Dead Poet Society and rip it out of all of the books and then continue. I think it's
3: that's really a... funny though, cause isn't it? Because you can apply that kind of same principle to lots of other heroic man narratives. So think about, I mentioned in the previous episode, Star Wars, I think, um, you know they also, which finishes them getting all their lovely medals. What you don't see then is Luke Skywalker going to take a sort of mid ranking Index Link pension <laughs> job in the, in the the Galactic Alliance uh, it's probably not even the right name for it and I'm going to get letters but you know what I mean and then he's just there's cut to him in 30 years staring out of his window sort of up his secretary and playing with one of those things where you hit the ball and it hits the other balls <laughs> and <then they> just, <laughs> I'm just wondering what happened with his life well, and how great so, it was I
4: think there, there is a, a great opportunity as you say to talk about like the afterlife of the hero if the hero doesn't die in battle defeating evil what does he do next? it's a what very ha- banal what normal existence what, what the epilogue shows is yeah, he lives a really banal Kind of but maybe
3: that's a judgment on us as readers that we would rather have him die than have him just be blandly happy.
5: Do you think he gave his kids those names so their bullying will bring some spice back into his middle life? I don't know if it's intentional, but that is definitely what is happening.
3: <laughs> would you rather that Harry Potter had died?
4: yeah i I d I'm I'm on the fence about this. I Stephanie <laughs> does make a very strong case for this and I, I do think that she has a she has a good argument. But um I think another way of doing it would also have been for him to yeah, him to have to settle down. his humble life, but him not to like it. For it to have been rubbish. For him to have probably had a bit of PTSD. Had some difficulties. Maybe had depression. You know that. That's kind of a
3: Sue Townsend book you're writing there.
4: <laughs> would you not read that? I, I definitely would read that. Read that.
3: <laughs> but yeah. So what's your strong case for that that he should be ended?
5: Because he, I, I think as the final Horcrux you have to commit to the Horcrux status of Harry and kill him off. And How
3: do they get around the whole he's the Horcrux therefore you have to destroy him? Because he, because
5: the part of Voldemort's soul in him died but his corporeal body did not need to die to extinguish that part. It's bloody being a bloody face right <laughs> really? you now. Um, and I think Neville should have killed Voldemort. I think the rise of Neville Longbottom is the great beauty of Book Six. And seven.
3: Do, do, do you know? I think I, I think that is a, in a way that would have been a really beautiful message that is antithetical to the idea that we have talked about earlier on in the politics section about the idea that wizarding is something that you're born with. You know, it's not. Some people just are squibs and tough. You know, you just you, actually your worth as a human being is determined by something over which you have kind of no control. And I think that had that happened and, and Neville kind of been the hero in a way, it would have said. Actually, what matters really is not being born into a manifest destiny, You're not born the boy, you know, the boy who lived, but being somebody who just mucked in and just had to get on with doing things. You know, that's what heroism really is. It's not being kind of the most special person ever and anointed by destiny. It's just being the right person at the right time will take a hard decision.
4: And also it would have played into that idea more that, uh, that Harry's side was, was a team that they were facing alone, alone evil, but he, he had friends, he had support, and ultimately he had someone to step in when he couldn't.
3: I would also probably have accepted like Neville stepping in and Neville dying, because I think that would have made sense. But I would less so. There's that whole business about they were both born on the same day and it could have turned out to be well, yeah, Neville. Yeah, the
5: prophecy could have applied to either, but Voldemort yeah, picked, picked, picked out Harry. Yeah.
3: Ah, good... Yeah good slightly smug-faced knowledge (laughs) (laughs) i can meet you see you both like "Uh, no but actually no um well on that bombshell that i don't know as much about harry Potter as my colleagues which i think has been admirably demonstrated over the course now of many minutes uh thank you very much um to stephanie and to caroline and indeed to uh, all the rest of our team Welcome to the final instalment of our Harry podcast. Uh, I'm going to talk a bit about fan fiction now with Stephen Bush and Caroline Crampton, our web editor. Um, Stephen, you you've written some Harry Potter fan fiction, haven't you?
2: I have. I'm uh, a long time ago. As a, a teenager, I was a a big fan fictioner. I've written Harry Potter fan fiction. I wrote Doctor Who fan fiction. I've uh, written some. Final Fantasy Fan Fiction. I don't understand why I'm broadcasting this on the internet, but apparently <laughs> yeah, I am. Um,
3: but you've never, ever written any Labour Party
2: fan fiction, and you want any... that on the record. I mean, yeah, I mean, basically I write Labour Party fan fiction now. Um, <laughs> it's an exciting universe where they might get their, their act together. Um, but, but just for
3: anybody who's... I mean, I'm sure no one listening to a, a Harry Potter podcast is, is insufficiently nerdy to know what fan fiction is, but I think people maybe aren't so into the idea of the scale of, of how much fan fiction there is there is there are thousands upon thousands hundreds of thousands
4: hundreds of thousands harry potter is i think one of the biggest fandoms on the internet mostly down to the fact that it came of age at exactly the right point in the technological progression
2: and because she inconsiderately had a baby there was that gap the so-called long summer as it was dubbed in fan circles where where basically it became the thing to go right Write the next chapters. Write the next book. Explore some of the was themes. Was that
3: between four and five? Yeah,
2: yeah. Who yeah, was between four and five? So we we knew there was the looming ghost of Voldemort still to come. know, uh, yeah, having been brought back, but they, but there was this, mm. this this big old gap. And also, of course, with four, you know, there's that slight that I yeah. Oh, Cedric and Cho, but but kind of sex hadn't really intruded in the Harry Potter universe, and that not. Any of my fan fiction, I hasten to add, that was a big theme of a lot of fan fiction, of which I think kind of the the typical thing of the genre. If you're being unfair about it, was you yeah, Hermione had developed a lot over the summer. Um, <laughs> was a kind of a, a hardy perennial of the well, because
4: yeah, no, I know, I know. I, I think,
3: think was, I, I think I and I wrote Harry Potter fan fiction once. I think it was slash fiction.
4: But there's, there's also though. A very interesting if you now go back and look at the Harry Potter fan fiction that is excellent online and as I say there is I think fanfiction.net dot net, which is one of the biggest um aggregators of it, has got nearly a million fics now. If you look at the the because of the long summer that Stephen mentions, there is this kind of um there are a lot of very long running fics with hundred plus chapters that diverge from canon, from what Rowling wrote at the end of book four, precisely just because of the publishing schedule. So there are long, very popular sort of branches that all come from that.
3: Can you give me an idea of some of the kind of tropes that you get? You know, like the way that there's, in Sherlock, there's like squidlock and stuff like and John Locke, so and that's shipping, which is re- helping relationships of, of John and Sherlock. What are the kind of classic I know there's like a crazy bookload of all the like what happens if you ship Neville with Luna and then it becomes known as Potter
4: Is big enough that there are almost sub fandoms within it. And one of the um one of the most interesting ones I think is um the Marauders. So um Harry's dad and his three best friends at Hogwarts, who all you know, one of them was a werewolf. The other three became animagi. Um, and there's a whole like subgenre of their you just, adventures. You just said the word animagi. I
3: just feel like I just I feel like a person who has found out that a lot of their colleagues are a lot more knowledgeable about Harry Potter than they had. What?
0: previously what do you think we're doing here? known
3: <laughs> <laughs> i just i just I, yeah i i feel like i feel bad cuz i feel like i like i thought i liked harry potter books a, a, a normal amount and it turns out
2: i've no i've been very much paddling I mean, you you may in fact like harry potter books a normal amount <laughs> just that many of your colleagues like them an abnormal amount
4: but yeah so so there's like the yeah. the marauders are a subset there's a whole like draco harry subset um some of it slash some of it not some of it just you know kind of um joining hands across borders and, like, making friends and teaming up against the bad guys in in improbable pairings. It's quite nice. There's a whole... um, I went through a phase in my late teens where I was really... And actually more recently too, where I was really, really into, um, like, Hermione-centric stories. And there's a whole branching off there. Like, there's a whole subset of ones where Snape's not dead and she discovers him in hiding ten years later and they... Snape dies. And then,
2: Spoiler alert. And there is of course yeah, John and I think we, we have to lift the veil over, which is the embarrassing character slash oh is it O A O C author original character? Which was always a shorthand for Harry Potter meets a girl like the author, Hermione meets a boy <laughs> like the author. They were universally mm. Because some of this stuff is actually quite good. Mm. You oh, know, yeah. The thing that you know, Fifty Shades of Grey has massively done down mm. fan, fiction as a, fan fiction as a genre. Yeah. But we, we forget that. You know Actually the Brontes started writing what we would now recognise as fan fiction. And, you know, there is a lot of, you know, very good young adult fiction out there, which, you know, the early drafts of which were fan fiction. And then, of course, there's Fifty Shades of Grey.
3: No, I think that's one of the things that comes up. And there's a great book by Ann Jameson called Fick that uh, explores a lot of this stuff and talks to people. In the fanfiction community, and I think that that's one of the things that they feel quite... The well, two things, they they get very antsy about people saying it, but it's all about sex, isn't it? And then you go, well, no, it's not all, but there but just seems to be quite yeah. a lot of yeah. sex. And then the other thing is that the idea that it's all kind of crap. People sort of like, exactly, just having, doing sort of soppy relationships where Harry and Draco like hold hands and spend a lot of time cuddling each other. Um, and, and actually, some of the stuff that I've read particularly with Sherlock fandom, is, is, is just fundamentally really good writing. And there's a point that uh, Anne Jameson makes in that book, which is that things like, you know, uh, Rosenblatt and, and Guildenstern are Dead, it's kind of, by Tom Stoppard play, is fan fiction. You know, there is a very established literary tradition of taking an existing work and writing something around it as a continuation, that, something um, that...
4: Our columnist Laurie Penny's made is that the Sherlock... BBC show that Mark Gatiss and Stephen Moffat make is itself Conan Doyle fan fiction. Yeah. But
3: it just tends to be when kind of, you know, men do it with the stamp of a literary authority, then it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a really interesting postmodern take on it. When, you know, teenage girls do it because we think the teenage girls are innately sort of silly and stupid, then it must be, have have no value or or literary value to it. When that's actually, and maybe Caroline, you know more about this, my impression is that most writers of fan fiction are 20 and 30 something women.
4: Um, I, that's my sense. I, I'm not sure that there's any sort of sort of accurate data on that, but just from what I've read and what I've seen, the conversations people have online, I think so. Yeah. Have you
3: ever written any Harry Potter fan fiction? I
4: haven't. No. This is actually something I feel is a bit of a failing on my part, given how much time I've invested in the reading of books, the watching of films, and the reading of fan fiction, and the talking about this on the internet. I haven't. No. And just
3: to finish, I just want to ask you both a little bit about um, Pottermore, the online community. Are either of you Potterers? Is that what you call I them? I think
4: I have no idea. I have an account, but that's mostly so I can hate-read J.K. Rowling's own fan fiction of her own work. Because this is something else we should talk about. So, um, She wrote those seven books and a couple of spin-offs, but she can't leave the universe alone. So every so often, like uh, during the World Cup, football World Cup last year, she released a little sort of vignette. 1500 word vignette on Pottermore that was um, Harry and uh, his gang going to the Quidditch World Cup and all done through the, the eyes of Rita Skeeter and it was really bad and really infuriating and I wish he would just stop writing her own fan fiction. Anyway, that's why I have an account on Pottermore so that I can get upset about it. Have
3: you read any of um, J.K. Rowling's other non-Harry Potter fiction?
4: I've, what you mean? the
2: um, Cuckoo's Calling
3: or no, The Casual Vacancy.
2: Don't. Read, oh, the, the Casual Vacancy. I no, I haven't good. read The Casual Vacancy. The Cuckoo's Calling, I, I was not a, a, a love of. I, 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 I find most crime-related fiction kind of just sends me to bed and not in a good way. Um, well, the guy had
3: a false leg, and it was just one of those things that was a bit... There's a There's a Wyndham Lewis novel in which every so often this guy, they describe the main character, and then it goes. Uh, he, he says of himself, of course I have a false leg, or like, of course I have a wooden leg. And there was a bit like it would be kind of occasionally, like, Corbin Strike walked into the building quite slowly because he had a wooden leg, and it was just always slightly... Completely pathetic but yeah
2: casual vacancy is a it's a it's a very sad and angry book yeah it's kind of it's sort of passable high end trash lit as it were uh but yeah its it's, it's very strange partly because you still can't it still feels a little bit like walking in on your parents um it's a very it's a very odd experience um i I'm not a Potamora uh I have a very firm death of the author view on this the books exist as the canon and the rest of us can sort of spin off them. It, I don't sort of...
3: But that's not that doesn't make entire sense, because if you set the books as the canon, why wouldn't you accept later J.K. Rowling bits of output as the canon? Or is it just that you've oh, no, decided I'm, your I'm, own I'm canon? Not, I'm
4: not making a claim for this being reasonable or this is arbitrary, me saying that she, is the author of these works, is not allowed to substitute. I'm just saying that. I, I think... Basically, actually, I wish she'd stopped before the epilogue at the end of book seven, to be honest, because that's kind of fan fiction too. Um, yeah, I think that, that I've decided, and that actually a lot of other people on the internet have also shared this view that that is the rolling canon and everything that's else. That's like the
3: end of pygmalion and the, the end of the George Bernard Shaw play, where he sort of kind of ends the play and then he goes, well, this is what I think Eliza Doolittle would have done. And you're like, no, well, you should have put it in the play then. Put it in the play. Well, I think that's, um, we've all uh, embarrassed ourselves sufficiently. So um, that's probably time to say goodbye and thank you to Caroline and Stephen. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast, presented by me, Helen Lewis, and produced by Anna Leskovitz. You can find us every week at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast or on iTunes. Our theme music is Devil With The Devil by The Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag, say hello to Quince.